0: For the love of reading, featuring selections from novels, complete short stories, poetry, and nonfiction, read for you by Linda Pack. The short story, The Yellow Wallpaper, is a small literary masterpiece. It was written in 1892 by the most original and challenging mind of the first wave women's movement, Charlotte Perkins Gilman, She was born in 1860 and died in 1935. Gilman was a household name and immensely famous as the leading intellectual of the women's movement in her time. She was a philosopher, a theoretician, a writer, an educator, an indefatigable and inspiring lecturer, a publisher, and an activist. In her landmark work, Women and Economics, which was written in 1898, she demanded equal treatment for women as the best means to advance society's progress, advocating for women's suffrage, economic independence, birth control, and the transformation of domestic life. In that book, she makes clear that until women learn to be economically independent, true autonomy and equality cannot be found. It was a bestseller, The book was translated into seven languages. Gilman's denunciation of the romanticizing of domesticity as a goal for women was revolutionary. This breakthrough work is still used in university courses today. Charlotte Perkins Gilman's unorthodox concepts and lifestyle helped shape future generations of feminists. The Yellow Wallpaper which I will read in its entirety, enlightens the readers on women's health, motherhood, mental breakdown, and its treatment, as well as feminism and gender relations in the late 19th century America. But it is a fiction, a long, short story, written in the first person as sort of a diary, and it contains many of the typical Gothic trappings. Critics said it was perilous stuff, a story to freeze our blood. But beneath this conventional facade lies a tale of repression and freedom told in intricate symbolism. The yellow wallpaper is now recognized as an early feminist indictment of Victorian patriarchy. This story centers around the plight of many women during the 19th century, All women were seen by physicians as susceptible to ill health and mental breakdown by reason of their biological weakness and reproductive cycles. Further, women were liable to put themselves in danger of nervous collapse with their eagerness to take on roles unsuited to their gender, including higher education or political activities. And those who were creative and ambitious were deemed even more at risk. Though many details are changed, the story does draw on Gilman's own health crisis, and particularly her fraught relationship with Dr. Silas Weir-Mitchell. Dr. Weir-Mitchell had carved a reputation for himself for treating nervous exhaustion following his experiences as a Civil War doctor. He was brought in to treat Gilman in 1886. Gilman wrote in her autobiography, which was published in 1935, of the dragging weariness, the absolute incapacity, the absolute misery that she experienced following the birth of her daughter. This was the condition that led her to consult Dr. Mitchell. Now, Mitchell had pioneered a rescue for diseases, which... Uh, are now termed termed psychiatric, particularly neurasthenia and hysteria. This treatment was, in fact, subsequently taken up by the medical world and consisted primarily in isolation, confinement to bed, dieting, electrotherapy, and massage. Dr. Mitchell was popularly known as Dr. Diet and Dr. Quiet. Gilman was treated with this rest cure devised by Mitchell, as is the protagonist of the story. Like an infant, she was dosed, fed at regular intervals, and above all, ordered to rest. In Gilman's own words, he drove her to mental agony before she rejected his treatment and began once again to write. And six years later, she wrote the story I will now read for you, The Yellow Wallpaper. It is very seldom that mere ordinary people like John and myself secure ancestral halls for the summer, a colonial mansion, a, a hereditary estate, a, I would say a haunted house and reach the height of romantic felicity, but that would be asking too much of fate. Still, I will proudly declare that there is Is something queer about it? Else why should it be let so cheaply? And why have stood so long untenanted? John laughs at me, of course, but one expects that in marriage. John is practical in the extreme. He has no patience with faith, an intense horror of superstition, and he scoffs openly at any talk of things not to be felt and seen and put down in figures.' John is a physician, and perhaps—I would not say it to a living soul, of course, but this is dead paper, and a great relief to my mind—perhaps that is one reason I do not get well faster. You see, he does not believe I am sick. And what can one do if a physician of high standing, and one's own husband— assures friends and relatives that there is really nothing the matter with one but temporary nervous depression, a slight hysterical tendency. What is one to do? My brother is also a physician and also of high standing, and he says the same thing. So I take phosphates or phosphites, whichever it is, and tonics and journeys and air and exercise, and am absolutely forbidden to work until I am well again. Personally, I disagree with their ideas. Personally, I believe that congenial work with excitement and change would do me good, but what is one to do? I did write for a while in spite of them, but it does exhaust me a good deal and having to be so sly about it, or else meet with heavy opposition. I sometimes fancy that, in my condition, if I had less opposition and more society and stimulus. But John says, the very worst thing I can do is to think about my condition. And I confess it always makes me feel bad. So I will let it alone and talk about the house. "'the most beautiful place. "'It is quite alone, standing well back from the road, "'quite three miles from the village. "'It makes me think of English places that you read about, "'for there are hedges and walls and gates that lock "'and lots of separate little houses for the gardeners and people. "'There is a delicious garden.' I never saw such a garden, large and shady, full of box-bordered paths, and lined with long grape-covered arbors with seats under them. There were greenhouses, too, but they are all broken now. There was some legal trouble, I believe, something about the heirs and co-heirs. Anyway, the place has been empty for years. That spoils my ghostliness, I'm afraid. But I don't care there is something strange about the house. I can feel it. I even said so to John one moonlit evening, but he said what I felt was a draft and shut the window. I get unreasonably angry with John sometimes. I'm sure I never used to be so sensitive. I think it is due to this nervous condition. But John says, if I feel so, I shall neglect proper self-control, so I take pains to control myself, before him at least, and that makes me very tired. I don't like our room a bit. I wanted one downstairs that opened on the piazza and had roses all over the window and such pretty old-fashioned chintz hangings, but John would not hear of it. He said... There was only one window, and not room for two beds, and no near room for him if he took another. He is very careful and loving, and hardly lets me stir without special direction. I have a schedule prescription for each hour in the day. He takes all care from me, so I feel basely ungrateful not to value it more. He said... We came here solely on my account, that I was to have perfect rest and all the air I could get. Your exercise depends on your strength, my dear, said he, and your food somewhat on your appetite, but air you can absorb all the time. So we took the nursery at the top of the house. It is a big airy room, the whole floor nearly, with windows that look all ways, and air and sunshine galore. It was nursery first, and then playground, and gymnasium I should judge, for the walls and the windows are barred for little children, and there are rings and things in the walls. The paint and paper look as if a boys' school had used it. It's stripped off the paper in great patches all around the head of my bed, about as far as I can reach, and in a place on the other side of the room low down i never saw a worse paper in my life one of those sprawling flamboyant patterns committing every artistic sin it is dull enough to confuse the eye in following pronounced enough to constantly irritate and provoke study and when you follow the lame uncertain curves for a little distance they suddenly commit suicide plunge off at outrageous angles, destroy themselves in unheard-of contradictions. The color is repellent, almost revolting, a smoldering, unclean yellow, strangely faded by the slow-turning sunlight. It is a dull yet lurid orange in some places, a sickly sulfur tint in others. No wonder the children hated it. I should hate it myself if I had to live in this room long. There comes John. I must put this away. He hates to have me write a word. We have been here two weeks, and I haven't felt like writing before since that first day. I am sitting by the window now, up in this atrocious nursery, and there's nothing to hinder my writing as much as I please, save lack of strength. John is away all day, and even some nights when his cases are serious. I am glad my case is not serious, but these nervous troubles are dreadfully depressing. John does not know how much I really suffer. He knows there is no reason to suffer, and that satisfies him. "'Of course it is only nervousness. "'It does weigh on me so not to do my duty in any way. "'I meant to be such a help to John, "'such a real rest and comfort, "'and here I am a comparative burden already. "'Nobody would believe what an effort it is "'to do what little I am able, "'to dress, to entertain and order things. "'It is fortunate Mary is so good with the baby.' such a dear baby, and yet I cannot be with him. It makes me so nervous. I suppose John was never nervous in his life. He laughs at me so about this wallpaper. At first he meant to repaper the room, but afterwards he said that I was letting it get the better of me and that nothing was worse for a nervous patient than to give way to such fancies." He said that after the wallpaper was changed, it would be the heavy bedstead, and then the barred windows, and then that gate at the head of the stairs, and so on. "'You know the place is doing you good,' he said, and really, dear, I don't care to renovate the house just for three months' rental.' "'Then do let us go downstairs,' I said. "'There are such pretty rooms there.' Then he took me in his arms and called me a blessed little goose and said he would go down to the cellar if I wished and have it whitewashed into the bargain. But he is right enough about the beds and windows and things. It is as airy and comfortable a room as anyone need wish, and, of course, I would not be so silly as to make him uncomfortable just for a whim. I'm really getting quite fond of the big room. All but that horrid paper. Out of one window I can see the garden, those mysterious deep-shaded arbors, the riotous old-fashioned flowers and bushes and gnarly trees. Out of another I get a lovely view of the bay and the little private wharf belonging to the estate. There is a beautiful shaded lane that runs down there from the house, I always fancy I see people walking in these numerous paths and arbors, but John has cautioned me not to give way to fancy in the least. He says that, with my imaginative power and habit of storytelling, a nervous weakness like mine is sure to lead to all manner of excited fancies, and that I ought to use my will and good sense to check this tendency. So I try. I think sometimes that if I were only well enough to write a little, it would relieve the press of ideas and rest me. But I find I get pretty tired when I try. It is so discouraging not to have any advice and companionship about my work. When I get really well, John says, We will ask Cousin Henry and Julia down for a long visit. But he says... He would as soon put fireworks in my pillowcase as to let me have these stimulating people about now. I wish I could get well faster, but I must not think about that. This paper looks to me as if it knew what a vicious influence it had. There is a recurrent spot where the pattern lolls like a broken neck and two bulbous eyes stare at you upside down. I get positively angry with the impertinence of it and the everlastingness. Up and down and sideways they crawl. Those absurd, unblinking eyes are everywhere there is one place where two breaths didn't match and the eyes go all up and down the line one a little higher than the other i never saw so much expression in an inanimate thing before and we all know how much expression they have i used to lie awake as a child and get more entertainment and terror out of blank walls and plain furniture than most children could find in a toy store. I remember what a kindly wink the knobs of our big old bureau used to have, and there was one chair that always seemed like a strong friend. I used to feel that if any of the other things looked too fierce, I could always hop into that chair and be safe. "'The furniture in this room is no worse than inharmonious, however, "'for we had to bring it all from downstairs. "'I suppose when this was used as a playroom "'they had to take the nursery things out. "'And no wonder. "'I never saw such ravages as the children have made here. "'The wallpaper, as I have said before, is torn off in spots, "'and it sticketh closer than a brother.' "'They must have had perseverance as well as hatred. "'Then the floor is scratched and gouged and splintered, "'the plaster itself is dug out here and there, "'and this great heavy bed, which is all we found in the room, "'looks as if it had been through the wars. "'But I, I don't mind it a bit. "'Only the paper. "'Here comes John's sister. "'Such a dear girl she is, and so careful of me.' I must not let her find me writing. She is a perfect and enthusiastic housekeeper and hopes for no better profession. I verily believe she thinks it is the writing which makes me sick. But I can write when she is out and see her a long way off from these windows. There is one that commands the road, a lovely shaded winding road, and one that looks off over the country a lovely country, too, full of great elms and velvet meadows. This wallpaper has a kind of sub-pattern in a different shade, a particularly irritating one, for you can see it only in certain lights, and not clearly, then, but in the places where it isn't faded and where the sun is just so I can see a strange, provoking, formless sort of figure that seems to sulk about behind that silly and conspicuous front design. (gasps) Their Sister on the Stairs. Well, Fourth of July is over, and the people are gone, and I am tired out. John thought it might do me good to see a little company, so we just had Mother and Nellie and the children down for a week. Of course, I didn't do a thing. Jenny sees to everything now, but it tired me all the same. John says if I don't pick up faster, he shall send me to the nerve specialist in the fall. But I don't want to go there at all I had a friend who was in his hands once, and she says he is just like John and my brother, only more so. Besides, it is such an undertaking to go so far. I don't feel as if it was worth while to turn my hand over for anything, and I'm getting dreadfully fretful and querulous. I cry at nothing and cry most of the time. Of course, I don't when John is here or anybody else, but when I'm alone, and I am alone, a good deal just now. John is kept in town very often by serious cases, and Jenny is good and lets me alone when I want her to. So I walk a little in the garden or down that lovely lane and sit on the porch under the roses and lie down up here a good deal. I'm getting really fond of this room, despite of the wallpaper. Perhaps... Because of the wallpaper. It dwells in my mind so. I lie here on this great immovable bed, it is nailed down, I believe, and follow that pattern about by the hour. It is as good as gymnastics, I assure you. I start, we'll say, at the bottom, down in the corner over there, where it has not been touched and I determine for the thousandth time that I will follow that pointless pattern to some sort of a conclusion. I know a little of the principle of design, and I know this thing was not arranged on any laws of radiation or alternation or repetition or symmetry or anything else that I ever heard of. It is repeated, of course, by the breadths, but not otherwise looked at in one way, each breadth stands alone. The bloated curves and flourishes, a kind of debased Romanesque with delirium tremens, go waddling up and down in isolated columns of fatuity. But on the other hand, They connect diagonally, and the sprawling outlines run off in great slanting waves of optic horror, like a lot of wallowing seaweeds in full chase. And the whole thing goes horizontally, too, at least it seems so, and I exhaust myself in trying to distinguish the order of its going in that direction. They have used a horizontal breadth for a freeze, and that adds wonderfully to the confusion. There is one end of the room where it is almost intact, and there, when the cross lights fade and the low sun shines directly upon it, I can almost fancy radiation after all. The interminable grotesques seem to form around a common center and rush off in headlong plunges of equal distraction. <sighs> It makes me tired to follow it. I will take a nap, I guess. I don't know why I should write this. I don't want to. I don't feel able. And I know that John would think it absurd. But I must say what I feel and think in some way... "'It is such a relief. "'But the effort is getting to be greater than the relief. "'Half the time now I am awfully lazy "'and lie down ever so much. "'John says I mustn't lose my strength "'and has me take cod liver oil and lots of tonics and things "'to say nothing of ale and wine and rare meat. "'Dear John,' He loves me very dearly and hates to have me sick. I tried to have a real, earnest, reasonable talk with him the other day and tell him how I wish he would let me go and make a visit to Cousin Henry and Julia. But he said, I wasn't able to go nor be able to stand it after I got there, and I did not make out a very good case for myself, for I was crying before I had finished. It is getting to be a great effort for me to think straight just this nervous weakness, I suppose. And dear John gathered me up in his arms and just carried me upstairs and laid me on the bed and sat by me and read for me until it tired my head. He said I was his darling and his comfort and all he had and that I must take care of myself for his sake and keep well. He says no one but myself can help me out of it, that I must use my will and self-control and not let any silly fancies run away with me there's one comfort the baby is well and happy and does not have to occupy this nursery with the horrid wallpaper if we had not used it that blessed child would have what a fortunate escape why i wouldn't have a child of mine an impressionable little thing live in such a room for worlds I never thought of it before, but it is lucky that John kept me here after all. I can stand it so much easier than a baby, you see. Of course, I never mention it to them any more. I am too wise. But I keep watch of it all the same. There are things in that paper that nobody knows but me, or ever will. Behind that outside pattern, the dim shapes get clearer every day. It is always the same shape, only very numerous. And it is like a woman stooping down and creeping about behind that pattern. I don't like it a bit. I wonder. I I begin to think. I wish John would take me away from here. It is so hard to talk with John about my case, because he is so wise and because he loves me so. But I tried it last night. It was moonlight. The moon shines in all around, just as the sun does. I hate to see it sometimes. It creeps so slowly and always comes in by one window or another. John was asleep, And I hated to waken him, so I kept still and watched the moonlight on that undulating wallpaper until I felt creepy. The faint figure behind seemed to shake the pattern, just as if she wanted to get out. I got up softly and went to feel and see if the paper did move, and when I came back, John was awake. "'What is it, little girl?' he said. "'Don't go walking about like that. "'You'll get cold.' "'I thought it was a good time to talk, "'so I told him that I really was not gaining here "'and that I wished he would take me away. "'Why, darling,' said he, "'our lease will be up in three weeks, "'and I can't see how to leave before. "'The repairs are not done at home, "'and I cannot possibly leave town just now.' "'Of course, if you were in any danger, I could and would. "'But you really are better, dear, whether you can see it or not. "'I am a doctor, dear, and I know you are gaining flesh and color. "'Your appetite is better. "'I really feel much easier about you.' "'I don't weigh a bit more,' said I, "'nor as much. "'And my appetite may be better in the evening when you are here, "'but it is worse in the morning when you are away.' "'Bless her little heart,' said he with a big hug. "'She shall be as sick as she pleases. "'But now let's improve the shining hours "'by going to sleep and talk about it in the morning.' "'And you won't go away?' I asked gloomily. "'Why, how can I, dear? "'It is only three weeks more, "'and then we will take a nice little trip of a few days "'while Jenny is getting the house ready. "'Really, dear, you are better.' "'Better in body, perhaps,' I began, and stopped short. "'For he sat up straight and looked at me with such a stern, reproachful look "'that I could not say another word. "'My darling,' said he, I beg of you, for my sake and for our child's sake, as well as for your own, that you will never for one instant let that idea enter your mind. There is nothing so dangerous, so fascinating, to a temperament like yours. It is a false and foolish fancy. Can you not trust me as a physician when I tell you so? So, of course, I said no more on that score, and we went to sleep before long. He thought I was asleep first, but I wasn't. I lay there for hours, trying to decide whether that front pattern and the back pattern really did move together or separately. On a pattern like this, by daylight, there is a lack of sequence, a defiance of law that is a constant irritant to the normal mind. The color is hideous enough, and unreliable enough, and infuriating enough, but the pattern is torturing. You think you have mastered it, but just as you get well underway in following, it turns a back somersault, and there you are. It slaps you in the face, knocks you down, and tramples upon you. It is like a bad dream. The outside pattern is a florid arabesque, reminding one of a fungus. If you can imagine a toadstool in joints, an interminable string of toadstools budding and sprouting in endless convolutions, why, that is something like it. That is, sometimes. There is one marked peculiarity about this paper, a thing that Nobody seems to notice but myself, and that is that it changes as the light changes. When the sun shoots in through the east window, I always watch for that first long straight ray. It changes so quickly that I can never quite believe it. That is why I watch it always. By moonlight, the moon shines in all night when there is a moon. I wouldn't know it was the same paper. At night, in any kind of light, in twilight, candlelight, lamplight, and worst of all by moonlight, it becomes bars. The outside pattern, I mean, and the woman behind it is as plain as can be. I didn't realize for a long time what the thing was that showed behind that dim sub-pattern, but now I am quite sure it is a woman by daylight she is subdued quiet i fancy it is the pattern that keeps her so still it is so puzzling it keeps me quiet by the hour i lie down ever so much more now john says it is good for me and to sleep all i can indeed he started the habit by making me lie down for an hour after each meal It is a very bad habit, I am convinced, for, you see, I don't sleep. And that cultivates deceit, for I don't tell them I'm awake. Oh, no. The fact is, I am getting a little afraid of John. He seems very queer sometimes, and even Jenny has an inexplicable look. It strikes me occasionally just as a scientific hypothesis, that perhaps it is the paper. I have watched John when he did not know I was looking and come into the room suddenly on the most innocent excuses, and I've caught him several times looking at the paper. And Jenny, too. I caught Jenny with her hand on it once. She didn't know I was in the room. And when I asked her, in a quiet, a very quiet voice, with the most restrained manner possible, what she was doing with the paper, she turned round as if she'd been caught stealing and looked quite angry and asked me why I should frighten her so. Then she said that the paper stained everything it touched, and that she had found yellow smooshes on all my clothes and John's, and she wished we would be more careful. Did not that sound innocent? But I know she was studying that pattern. And I am determined that nobody shall find it out but myself. Life is very much more exciting now than it used to be. You see, I have something more to expect, to look forward to, to watch. I really do eat better and am more quiet than I was and john is so pleased to see me improve he laughed a little the other day and said i seemed to be flourishing in spite of my wallpaper i turned it off with a laugh i had no intention of telling him it was because of the wallpaper he would make fun of me he might even want to take me away i don't want to leave now until i have found it out there is a week more and i think that will be enough "'I'm feeling ever so much better. "'I don't sleep much at night, "'for it is so interesting to watch developments, "'but I sleep a good deal in the daytime. "'In the daytime it is tiresome and perplexing. "'There are always new shoots on the fungus "'and new shades of yellow all over it. "'I cannot keep count of them, "'though I have tried conscientiously. "'It is the strangest yellow, that wallpaper.' "'and makes me think of all the yellow things I ever saw. "'Not beautiful ones like buttercups, "'but old, foul, bad yellow things. "'But there is something else about that paper. "'The smell. "'I noticed it the moment we came into the room, "'but with so much air and sun it was not bad. "'Now we have had a week of fog and rain, "'and whether the windows are open or not, "'the smell is here.' It creeps all over the house. I find it hovering in the dining room, skulking in the parlor, hiding in the hall, lying in wait for me on the stairs. It gets into my hair. Even when I go to ride, if I turn my head suddenly and surprise it, there is that smell. Such a peculiar odor, too. I have spent hours in trying to analyze it, to find out what it smelled like. It is not bad, at first, and very gentle, and but quite the subtlest, most enduring odor I ever met. In this damp weather, it is awful. I wake up in the night and find it hanging over me. It used to disturb me at first. I thought seriously of burning the house to reach the smell. But now I am used to it. The only thing I can think of that it is like is the color of the paper, a yellow smell. There is a very funny mark on this wall, low down, near the mop board, a streak that runs around the room. It goes behind every piece of furniture except the bed, A long straight even smoosh as if it had been rubbed over and over. I wonder how it was done and who did it and what they did it for. Round and round and round. Round and round and round. It makes me dizzy. I have really discovered something at last. Through watching so much at night when it changes so, I have finally found out the front pattern does move. And no wonder the woman behind shakes it. Sometimes I think there are a great many women behind, and sometimes only one, and she crawls around fast, and her crawling shakes it all over. Then in the very bright spots, she keeps still, and in the very shady spots, she just takes hold of the bars and shakes them hard. And she is, all the time, trying to climb through. But nobody could climb through that pattern. It strangles so. I think that is why it has so many heads. They get through, and then the pattern strangles them off and turns them upside down and makes their eyes white. If those heads were covered or taken off, it would not be half so bad. I think that woman gets out in the daytime, and I'll tell you why, privately. I've seen her. I can see her out of every one of my windows. It is the same woman, I know, for she is always creeping, and most women do not creep by daylight. I see her on that long shaded lane, creeping up and down. I see her in those dark grape arbors, creeping all around the garden. I see her on that long road, under the trees, creeping along. And when a carriage comes, she hides under the blackberry vines. I don't blame her a bit. must be very humiliating to be caught creeping by daylight. I always lock the door when I creep by daylight. I can't do it at night, for I know John would suspect something at once. And John is so queer now that I don't want to irritate him. I wish he would take another room. Besides, I don't want anybody to get that woman out at night but myself. I often wonder if I could see her out of all the windows at once but turn as fast as I can. I can only see her out of one at a time, and though I always see her, she may be able to creep faster than I can turn. I have watched her sometimes way off in the open country, creeping as fast as a cloud shadow in a high wind. If only that top pattern could be gotten off from the other one, I mean to try it, little by little. I have found out another funny thing, but I shan't tell it this time. It does not do to trust people too much. There are only two more days to get this paper off, and I believe John is beginning to notice. Don't like the look in his eyes. And I heard him ask Jenny a lot of professional questions about me. She had a very good report to give. She said, I slept a good deal in the daytime. John knows I don't sleep very well at night, for all I'm so quiet. He asked me all sorts of questions, too, and pretended to be very loving and kind, as if I couldn't see through him. Still, I don't wonder he acts so, sleeping under this paper for three months. It only interests me. But I feel sure John and Jenny are secretly affected by it. This is the last day, but it is enough. John is to stay in town overnight, and he won't be out till this evening. Jenny wanted to sleep with me, the sly thing, but I told her I should undoubtedly rest better for a night all alone. That was clever, for really, I wasn't alone a bit.' As soon as it was moonlight and that poor thing began to crawl and shake the pattern, I got up and ran to help her. I pulled and she shook and I shook and she pulled. And before morning, we had peeled off yards of that paper, a strip about as high as my head and half around the room. And then when the sun came and that awful pattern began to laugh at me, I declared I would finish it today. We go away tomorrow, and they are moving all my furniture down to leave things as they were before. Jenny looked at the wall in amazement, but I told her merrily that I did it out of pure spite of the vicious thing. She laughed and said, She wouldn't mind doing it herself, but I must not get tired. (laughs) She betrayed herself that time. But I am here, and no person touches this paper but me not alive. She tried to get me out of the room. It was too patent. But I said, it was so quiet and empty and clean now that I believed I would lie down again and sleep all I could and not to wake me even for dinner, I would call when I woke. So now she is gone and the servants are gone. And the things are gone, and there is nothing left but that great bedstead nailed down with the canvas mattress we found on it. We shall sleep downstairs tonight and take the boat home tomorrow. I quite enjoy the room. Now that it is bare again. How those children did tear about here. This bedstead is fairly gnawed. But I I must get to work. I've locked the door and thrown the key down into the front path. I don't want to go out, and I don't want to have anybody come in till John comes. I want to astonish him. I've got a rope up here that even Jenny did not find. If that woman does get out and tries to get away, I can tie her but i forgot i could not reach far without anything to stand on this bed will not move i tried to lift and push it till i was lame and then i got so angry i bit off a little piece at one corner but it hurt my teeth Then I peeled off all the paper I could reach standing on the floor. It sticks horribly, and the pattern just enjoys it. All those strangled heads and bulbous eyes and waddling fungus growths just shriek with derision. I'm getting angry enough to do something desperate. To jump out of the window would be admirable exercise, but the bars are too strong even to try. Besides, I wouldn't do it. Of course not. I know well enough that a step like that is improper and might be misconstrued. I don't like to look out of the windows, even. There are so many of those creeping women, and they creep so fast. I wonder if they all came out of the wallpaper, as I did. But I am securely fastened now by my well-hidden rope, You don't get me out in the road there. I suppose I shall have to get back behind the pattern when it comes night, and that is hard. It is so pleasant to be out in this great room and creep about as I please. I don't want to go outside. I won't, even if Jenny asks me to. For outside you have to creep on the ground, and everything is green instead of yellow. But here... I can creep smoothly on the floor, and my shoulder just fits in that long smooch around the wall, so I cannot lose my way Why there's John at the door. It is no use, young man. you can't open it. How he does call and pound, ah, <gasps> now he's crying for an axe. It would be ashamed to break down that beautiful door. John, dear, said I in the gentlest voice, the key is down by the front steps under a plantain leaf. Well, that silenced him for a few moments. Then he said, very quietly indeed, Open the door, my darling. I can't, said I. THE KEY IS DOWN BY THE FRONT DOOR UNDER A PLANTAIN LEAF. AND THEN I SAID IT AGAIN, SEVERAL TIMES, VERY GENTLY AND SLOWLY, AND SAID IT SO OFTEN THAT HE HAD TO GO AND SEE, AND HE GOT IT, OF COURSE, AND CAME IN. HE STOPPED SHORT BY THE DOOR. WHAT IS THE MATTER, HE CRIED, FOR GOD'S SAKE, WHAT ARE YOU DOING? I kept on creeping just the same, but I looked at him over my shoulder. I've got out at last, said I, in spite of you and Jenny, and I've pulled off most of the paper, so you can't put me back. Now, why should that man have fainted? But he did. And right across my path by the wall, so that I had to creep over him every time. You have just heard The Yellow Wallpaper, a short story written in 1892 by Charlotte Perkins Gilman. From 1909 to 1916, Charlotte Perkins Gilman wrote and published The Forerunner, which was a monthly feminist magazine. In the October 1913 issue, she published a piece entitled, Why I Wrote the Yellow Wallpaper. Here it is. Many and many a reader has asked me that question. When the story first came out, in the New England magazine, a Boston physician made protest. Such a story ought not to be written, he said. It was enough to drive anyone mad to read it. Another physician, in Kansas, I think, wrote to say that it was the best description of incipient insanity he had ever seen and, begging my pardon, had I been there. Hmm. Now, the story of the story. Is this. For many years I suffered from a severe and continuous nervous breakdown, tending to melancholia and beyond. During about the third year of this trouble, I went, in devout faith and some faint stir of hope, to a noted specialist in nervous diseases, the best known in the country. This wise man put me to bed and applied the rest cure to which my still good physique responded so promptly that he concluded that there was nothing much the matter with me and sent me home with solemn advice to live as domestic a life as far as possible, to have but two hours intellectual life a day, and never to touch pen brush, or pencil again as long as I lived. This was in 1887. I went home and obeyed those directions for some three months and came so near the borderline of utter mental ruin that I could see over. Then, using the remnants of intelligence that remained and helped by a wise friend, I cast the noted specialist's advice to the winds and began again, to work, work, which is joy and growth and service, without which one is a pauper and a parasite, ultimately recovering some measure of power. Being naturally moved to rejoicing by this narrow escape, I wrote The Yellow Wallpaper, with its embellishments and additions to carry out the ideal. I never had hallucinations or objections to my mural decorations and sent a copy to the physician who so nearly drove me mad. He never acknowledged it. The little book is valued by alienists and also as a good specimen of one kind of literature. It has, to my knowledge, saved one woman from a similar fate, so terrifying to her family that they let her out into normal activity and she recovered. But the best result is this. Many years later... I was told that the great specialist had admitted to friends of his that he had altered his treatment of neurasthenia since reading The Yellow Wallpaper. It was not intended to drive people crazy, but to save people from being driven crazy. And it worked. And that is all for this edition of For the Love of Reading, The Yellow Wallpaper. The material read on For the Love of Reading was selected, reviewed, edited, and performed by Linda Pack. The program was engineered by Alicia Bales. This program is archived and available for online listening at kzyx.org. There you will also find a bibliography of the readings heard on For the Love of Reading. KZYX For the Love of Reading is a production of listener-supported community radio, KZYX and Z public broadcasting for Mendocino County, California. On our website, kzyx.org, you will find links to all our podcasts, including KZYX Mendocino County Remembered, oral histories read for you by Linda Pack. You can also stream live programming and show your support by clicking the red Donate button. This is Linda Pack. Thanks for listening.